0: that today we might see Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen.
1: Thank you, pastor. And now to give your attention to God's word is found in Luke chapter 7 reprising the end of the passage that we read and considered together last week as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus we'll be looking uh, together at Luke chapter 7 verses 33 through 35. Luke chapter 7, verses 33 to 35. Hear the word of the Lord. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. May the Lord bless this reading of his word as we give him praise for it. Amen. And so we've said goodbye to some friends in the faith who have left us to go to glory. As I mentioned last week, our friend Harry Reeder has left us. Tim Keller, known by many and appreciated by so many of us, also has left this world to go into the presence of the Lord. Stephen Smallman and other individual in the Presbyterian Church in America, for whom we are grateful, also passed away recently. But in the broader church also, we had to say goodbye, as one of you mentioned to me last week, to uh, Dr. Charles Stanley. Now, Dr. Stanley was raised in Danville, Virginia, which is a town of distinction, because my wife is from there, for those of you who don't know. And uh, some years ago in Mint Hill, just outside of Charlotte, Doctor Stanley came and uh, spoke at a pastors' prayer breakfast. And for some reason or another, there weren't a huge number of pastors there that day. But Doctor Stanley came. He just written a new book on Proverbs. And after he had said a few words, he sat down to eat. And I got my little bit of breakfast. You know, one of those continental breakfasts. It wasn't biscuits and gravy, but there was some fruit and some other knickknacks on there. So. He was sitting at the table by himself, and I just went over and introduced myself and sat down with him. And uh, he was everything you would want someone like him to be. He was extremely friendly and warm and hospitable. And uh, we had not talked together to each other very long until we realized that we had the common connection through Danville. He remembered Kathy's family. He had been involved in uh, in baseball, though he was uh, somewhat older than Kathy's daddy. He remembered the Farley family, and so we talked there for just a moment. And then one of the people who were with him came over and said, Oh, Dr. Stanley, uh, let me have uh, some of the other pastors come over and sit with you. And he said, Have you met my friend Patrick? And he introduced me to that gentleman and shook hands just like I was somebody and sat back down, and he said, You know, I'm perfectly fine sitting here and talking with you, and I'm glad to make your acquaintance. Man, I'm telling you, right then I felt like Billy Graham. (laughs) just genuine and warm, and he wrote a note to Kathy's grandmother, and I took that back to her the next time that I saw her, and you would have thought that I was Billy Graham because she watched him on television every week. Now watch this. Dr. Stanley said that every week. Now watch this. Now listen. We look at all kinds of people. We notice all kinds of people. We see them every day. We see them before us through media or just encountering them in our places where we shop. But there is no one more worth looking at than the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that what was said in derision is actually a good point of instruction for us. It was the scribes and the Pharisees, those religious people who had arrayed themselves against the Lord Jesus, who said in derision, look at him. But all of us who believe delight ourselves in saying, yes, indeed, we look to him and to no other. And so we find in something that was not intended as good advice, nevertheless, to be good advice. And I say to all of you, indeed, look at him. As we think of how the psalmist says in Psalm 35, verses 4 and 5, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Where are you looking right now? What has your attention? Who has captivated you? So when they show up on media, you're watching them or you're listening to them or maybe it's somebody that you know in your neighborhood. Be careful. Be careful who you're looking at and what you're listening to. We look to the Lord Jesus. That's true when it comes to salvation. If you realize that uh, you need him for eternity, or it's also true if you've been walking with him for 90 years, we must continually look unto Jesus and realize that he is the only one who can rescue us. He is the only one who can sanctify us. It is only as we grow in the knowledge of his grace that we may experience that strength and empowerment that is appropriated for us through the Holy Spirit. Look to Jesus. You don't ever get beyond that. You don't ever get beyond the gospel. You don't ever reach a place of maturity and say, well, you know, that's the plan of salvation, or I know that you need to do that in order to be saved, but what do I need to do to grow in grace? Look unto Jesus. Even though, as I say, it wasn't intended for the advice of For advice to the faithful, it nevertheless is good counsel. We think of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith, the pioneer and completer of our faith, that could all be translated in those ways, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we navigate through life when we encounter difficulties and griefs and hardships? How is it that we're able to get through? By looking to Jesus, who endured so much more than we will ever know in this life. He literally endured hell on the cross. He had to endure such a severe contradiction of sinners throughout the course of his ministry. I mean, think about that. You you had in his, in his band of disciples... Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, you also had Simon Zelote, Simon the Zealot. Ideologically, it's hard to imagine two people any further apart on the ideological spectrum. What kind of conversations did those two have? Let alone you had the sons of Zebedee who got their mother to come up and say, Hey, you know, when you come into your kingdom, remember my boys." Jesus had to endure so much, but ultimately all that he had to endure on the cross for our sake so that as we go through life and have to experience the griefs, the hardships and the difficulties. I mean, last week when when Dortha was having that episode and thank the Lord, it turned out not to be life threatening, but for a moment we didn't know. And so all of us were profoundly concerned. But rightly, what did we do? We looked to the Lord in prayer. We couldn't step up here and be one of our wonderful physicians that we have among us. Now we're going to have another doctor added to the (laughs) lot. You know, we also had nurses who were standing by also. Couldn't be one of those. What do we do? We take it to the Lord because we understand that he is there and we look to him. And we must do that every day. How do we endure our hardships and difficulties by remembering the Lord Jesus, by looking to him and realizing that by his grace, we are able to endure the trials and the difficulties of this life. So what we see here is of the truth that Satan can take an ounce of truth and turn it into a pound of falsehood. What happened in the beginning at the first temptation when the serpent that was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made? said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, the Lord had instructed them not to eat of any tree in the garden except one. So Satan takes most of what the Lord said and misapplies it and uses it as a temptation. And his tactics haven't changed. So that he... He uses these who are under his influence to take a little bit of truth, look to Jesus, and use it as a derision. Oh, look at him. He's a friend of publicans, those tax collectors, and sinners. Can't you hear them hissing, sounding perhaps much like a serpent in the garden? And you'll find that to be true in your own life. People will say things derisively about our faith, tempting us to say, oh, no, no, no. Of course, I don't believe that. Of course, I don't want anything to do with those people. But what they said is true. He is a friend of sinners, even of tax collectors, those people who are deemed to be traitors to the cause and to the nation. John 8 is a passage verses 43 and 45 that we can take great comfort as um, as the Lord Jesus says why do you not understand what I say it is because you cannot bear to hear my word think of it we will uh, go to great lengths to make ourselves an audience of all kinds of things that people say and yet we never seem to have time to listen to what the Lord says We'll read newspapers and internet postings, but never get around to the Bible. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of, wow, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Who does he say this to? He says this to the religious leaders. You wonder why they became so infuriated at him. Would that they had been convicted by his word and in deep humility and repentance, they would have said, oh, Lord forgive me but they didn't the Lord Jesus pointed out that they were not under the influence of the one true and living God but rather of Satan himself who is Satan he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies but because I tell the truth you do not believe me they would rather believe a lie than to submit themselves to the truth and so Satan's tactics haven't changed they took a little bit of truth the fact that Jesus is in fact a friend of sinners and turned that around as an infamy as a great criticism of him so be careful you can be listening to something that will sound true I mean after all can we not take a truthful statement and use it in a derisive way Years ago, I had been recommended for a a committee position in the church, and uh, in a presbytery, and uh, they needed some some references, you know. Um, And so one of the elders in our church who was a character, if you had ever known Bud Pethel, you would have realized that when the Lord made him, he threw away the mold. He never did make another one like Uncle Bud. Bud said, oh, Patrick, yeah, I know him. You know, the last two times I saw him, he was sober now with friends like that you can really go places and we we would laugh about him saying things like that well you know thankfully it was true the last two times he'd seen me i was over but note what's inferred by a statement like that so we can even utter true things but if you do it in the wrong way In order to achieve some evil purpose, it's as if you're uttering a complete falsehood. So Satan knows how to manipulate the truth against us. He knows how to do it in order to tempt us and to draw us away. So we have to be careful. So those who heard this statement uttered by these religious leaders in the way that they intended it, it meant to drive them away from the Lord Jesus but jesus was speaking about them he was quoting them himself and he ends with this statement yet wisdom is justified by all her children just look and see what things produce look and see what a particular teaching or idea actually see what results from those ideas and that teaching those who trust in the lord jesus are known by their fruits Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and so forth. All those things will be seen in us. But ultimately, as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus, we can rejoice in knowing that Jesus is indeed a friend of sinners. Think about those who are with you through thick and thin. Think about those who never leave you nor forsake you. Think about those even though you have faced hardship and difficulty in life. Your phone rings and you answer it and they're checking on you to see how you're doing. John 15, 12 through 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He said this in this context of the observance of the supper of the Lord Jesus, even as they continued that Passover tradition that had been instituted on the night that the Israelites would be delivered from Pharaoh. He Instigates or initiates the fulfillment of that observance into the supper that we now observe and commanded the disciples to love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, put friends in bold in this passage so that you can see how he repeats. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I would suggest to you that it would be difficult for you to find a more extraordinary statement in all of scripture than when the Lord Jesus calls this ragtag bunch of disciples his friends. How is that even possible? It is possible by the grace of Almighty God. It is possible by the love of God. And what is true of them is true of us, that he would call us his friends when we listen to him and we look to him and we observe what he teaches and instructs rather than turning a deaf ear to the one whose word really matters. He loves us. He is the one who has laid down his life for his friends. And we often speak of this in context of other situations where someone will sacrificially give themselves up. In order to save others and oh how we are all moved to read accounts of people who literally have taken bullets for others whether on the battlefield or in a shopping mall or in a classroom or people who have been willing sacrificially to to give of themselves i remember on september the 11th 2001 the day of the attacks when the planes were flying into the building's I was uh, in the operating waiting room at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte where a wife was donating a kidney for her husband. All surgeries were shut down at that moment, but they couldn't shut that one down because they had just removed the kidney from the wife and they had to proceed with the next step, which was to give it to the husband. She willingly did that for his sake. But so many have done so much more. But I suggest to you and remind you that no one has done more for you than the Lord Jesus has literally endured hell for you, endured the wrath of God for your sakes. Even speaking the word friend to the man who betrayed him, Matthew 26, 50, Jesus said to Judas, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. He didn't refrain from calling even the one who betrayed him his friend even though judas had proven that he was not really of them when he went out from them there is no deficiency in the love of the lord jesus if you turn from him it is because you decided to do that on your own volition it isn't because of any defect in him it is not because he has done anything to repulse you the lord jesus has come lovingly to give himself for you there is none who loves like jesus none Proverbs reminds us, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend. Do you hear me? You who have been betrayed, who have found yourself living with profound disappointment time and again because people have failed you. People who promised to do for you wonderful things. Maybe it was a scam artist on the phone, or maybe it was a friend of many years. You had to endure betrayal. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm grateful that I've got a good brother. My brother Dan will call on me and aggravate me most any time of day. Hey, what are you doing? That's always how he starts out. Hey, what are you doing? He might just be on his way to mow one of his rental houses or showing a house for somebody he's a realtor. Who knows? I'm grateful that I've got a brother, and I know, I know that he's there. But I have a friend in glory who sticks closer than any blood relative ever could. I have a Savior who has gone to the ultimate lengths to secure what I could never deserve on my own, who has demonstrated love as no one else can. Oh, we can see love depicted, and we know that no subject has caused more songs and poems and prose to be penned than any other subject. Love captivates us. And many people, many of them unbelievers, write about it and express so much about it. But love is no more perfectly demonstrated in anyone than the Lord Jesus himself. He is the love of God itself. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, those statements about love is... Telling us about the Lord Jesus. And so, He is our friend. He walks with us, He endures with us. And so, when you're facing life's difficulties, when you go out not knowing what that medical report is going to be tomorrow, I was talking to someone in our community just a week before last who realizes that that spot that had been showing up on a scan for a couple of appointments is, in fact, a tumor. I said, how are you doing with that? He said, I'm fine. He said, God has the power to heal me. And if he chooses not to in this life, I know that I'm going to go be with him. He said, I figure I'm a winner either way. That's somebody that gets it. He's trusting in Jesus. And he knows that the Savior's love goes on and on and on. So let the world spout its criticisms. Let those who despise the Lord Jesus say the things they do about him. And in their derision and telling us to look at him, yes, look at him. You put anyone else under the microscope and you ultimately will find those deficiencies that are a little bit apparent to the naked eye suddenly becoming even more. The more I read in the biographies and historical accounts of individuals that I've admired through history, I'll think, yeah, they did some good things, but... Mm, not jesus the more intensification of magnification that is applied to the study of the true lord jesus as he is offered to us in the gospel the more perfection we see and we realize that here is one we indeed can trust in for salvation the one we can depend on to get us through our darkest hours That he never leaves us nor forsakes us. That friend who sticks closer than anybody ever could. And so when we come to the table of the Lord Jesus today, it's all about him. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the elders who will be passing out the trays. We're simply his servants. We are here today to worship our great God and acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ to be our great high priest. This is his supper In a figurative sense, we're all gathered around this table, and he's the one administering it. He's the one who has come and given himself for us, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. You don't come through me to partake of these elements. We're simply serving them. As Jesus, on that night in which he was betrayed, even tied a towel around his waist and knelt and washed the feet of his disciples, we are serving him together. We are enjoying this meal together. Pastor, elders, all of you who trust in Jesus, together we come to him. Because we realize we have found a friend like no other. Or rather, a dear friend has found us. And he will never let us go. Why would we want to do anything else than worship him and follow him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in knowing the Lord Christ, and we ask you, Father, to give us eyes to see and hearts to receive gladly the word of truth, all that is written about him throughout scriptures from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. Give to us grace, O Lord, that by faith we may accept and believe and entrust ourselves completely to the one that you have given because you have so loved the world. And may all praise, honor, and glory always be unto you. Through Jesus Christ we pray it. Amen. And so we come to the table of the Lord Jesus because we are instructed to by him. Because on the night in which he was betrayed, he gave this meal to his disciples. they were there in observance of the Passover, the Lord Jesus suddenly transformed that moment of observance of the Passover into something far more wonderful than they could heretofore have imagined. And so he gave thanks. It's a good thing to do any time we partake of a meal. Give thanks to the Lord. But he thanked the Lord for the bread and for the cup that we have here. And he pointed out to the disciples and speaking of the bread, he said, this is my body, which for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in eating and drinking, we remember him. We look to him. We think of what these very simple elements represent to us. Not only the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, but his body and blood that was sacrificed for our sakes. His loss has become our immense gain. What has he gained? A people that he can call his own. So he took the bread and he broke it. Because it was meant for distribution.
0: He has come so that many
1: will be saved. He took that bread, having given thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is for you. Isn't that extraordinary? This is for you. He sacrificed himself for you and for me. And we're reminded of that. But we also rejoice in his presence. Physically, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that from Scripture. But spiritually, oh, he's right here with us. We enjoy communion and fellowship not only with each other, but the Lord Jesus himself by means of the Holy Spirit. So, Christian, this is a moment in which we all can rejoice. That together, we may experience the Lord Christ in this extraordinary way as we partake of these elements. And so, as they on that occasion pray and give thanks, let's also bow our heads and do the same. Heavenly Father. We thank you for the bread and we thank you for the cup. We thank you for your Son, whom you have given as a propitiation for our sins, the one by whom your wrath has been turned away and satisfied. And so, our Father, we ask your blessing as we partake of this meal by faith in Jesus. Grant that these ordinary elements might be transformed to an extraordinary use, even though they remain as are as much as we partake of them by faith we pray that you will encourage us and strengthen us and yes nourish us in our faith that having been strengthened here as we look to jesus we may be better equipped to live a life of discipleship before a world that watches us and that you may be glorified so we thank you and we ask your blessing in the name of the lord jesus Amen. I'm going to ask the elders to now come. They'll take these trays and pass them. And I want to encourage you and remind you, you don't have to be a member of this church in order to partake. All of those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and who have made a public declaration of faith in Him are welcome to partake. But to encourage you to come as those who are repenting of sin and trusting in Christ, not trying to, redefine sin into anything other than it is, but acknowledging it openly and readily before Him, let us partake together. So I'll ask that as the elements are passed that we all hold them until everyone is served and then we will partake Remember
0: Night of of this Last Supper, the Lord Jesus prayed, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from my hand. It was judgment, judgment of sin. It was the cup of God's wrath. But our Lord Jesus, knowing that He's going to satisfy that with His blood, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember that our Lord Jesus. Underwent the judgment of God, the cup of God's wrath, so that we might live forever. Again, I'd ask that you hold the elements as they are distributed. Then he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you shall forth my death until I return. Drink all of your it." The Bible says when they had sung a hymn, they departed. Let's stand together and close our service. Victory in Jesus.
1: And so, as we go forth, we go and in assurance, certain knowledge of the atonement of the Lord Jesus being complete. Christian, you are His, and nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. And so, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and cause His face to shine upon you, and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you His countenance, and give you His peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together,
2: Amen.